0: 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. We are continuing our Magellan RX series uh, special for Pharmacist Month this October, and uh, I have a very special guest. I'm really excited to have him on here, uh, Dr. Steve Cuts. Uh, please uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Uh, you are an extremely busy man, so the time that you're taking to do this, um, myself and the listeners are greatly appreciated. Uh, we're going to get into what you're doing day to day, what your role is here at Magellan. Um, But before that, let's just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. That sounds great. So um,
0: I actually grew up in southern New Jersey, about five minutes outside of Philly, but on the Jersey side. Uh, Depending on who I'm talking to, I tell them I'm either from Cherry Hill or from Camden, if I'm looking to intimidate somebody. <laughs> I grew up, <laughs> nice. but it's in that same general vicinity. Yeah. Um. So I'm a rabid, diehard Eagles fan. So I'm still riding that high from our Super Bowl there victory over the hated Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is interesting, considering I currently live in New England. My wife's a diehard Pat's fan, and her whole family. So mm. it makes for interesting dynamic at the uh, at the dinner table. Um, mm. But I I at least get to rub it in her face now for the rest of the season until yeah. uh, until the uh, season's over here. Um. So I uh. I went to pharmacy school at the University of Rhode Island, uh, graduated back in 2009, and have uh, stuck around in New England ever since. Um, started out my career, as many folks have, in the, the retail sector, uh, working at CVS as a retail pharmacist. I had been there uh, since high school, actually, um, I started at CVS. At the time, I was really just looking for a summer job, mm. um, stocking shelves, you know, ringing register or something like that, and they actually hired me in the pharmacy to be a cashier back there. And uh, at the time, I thought pharmacies were where they made the drugs, which was yeah. pretty funny. I, I didn't really know much about it at all, but long story short, started working back there and thought, hey, you know, this is really cool. It's interesting. Did some research on the profession of pharmacy and uh, decided to switch my career pads. I was all set to go to Georgetown for international relations, was always what I dreamed of doing, Mm -hmm. until working in the pharmacy and then switched it up. I went to pharmacy school at URI and uh, worked at CVS the entirety of my time there, still as an intern, and um, always had a feeling that retail isn't what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my career. It was always interested in the managed care arena. And uh, after I graduated, stayed on with CVS for about a year before transitioning over into the managed care sector. I've Mm -hmm. been here ever since.
1: Well, I mean, it's funny, but almost every other person we've interviewed here has also gone to University of Rhode Island, I think, with the exception of one. But uh, just the football thing, just to kind of uh, sneak back into that. So I'm from Miami, obviously, and then being down there, I... I know about obviously I i watched the Super Bowl I know the what what the results were but I didn't really conceptualize how close the Eagles are and the Patriots are so I didn't even actually realize how much of a bigger game that actually was mm. because of the proximity of the two so um you know the two teams so that's interesting
0: absolutely And it's funny you said that you're uh, from the Miami area so I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan uh, nice. because of my father so sorry my, about that yeah I know especially <laughs> this past weekend I mean we went from 3-0 to getting demolished by the Patriots. But what are you going to do? That's yeah. uh, because my father uh, was relatively young during the 72 undefeated season. Mm. Uh, so that he was, in turn, a Miami fan. And when I was a kid, it was also when Dan Marino was yeah, lighting the big. league on fire. So from the time I was a kid, I had a Dan Marino jersey. So I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for the Dolphins. But growing up right outside of Philly, it's hard not to become a diehard fan when you're in that particular area. Yeah. So uh, Eagles have superseded Miami in terms of you know the, the place in my heart. Yeah, totally
1: understand. That makes sense. So um, let's get to what you do here. So what is your role? Um, What are your, you know, the core responsibilities, I guess, with what you're doing here at Magellan?
0: Sure, absolutely. So my uh, my current title and position is a Vice President of Pharmacy Services and Clinical Strategy, and I have a, a number of different roles and responsibilities. Uh, on the service, I'm essentially the head of clinical strategy for our pharmacy division. Uh, so at Magellan Health, we have our, our broad healthcare um, business uh, that does behavioral health radiology, but we also have a full-service pharmacy business that includes pharmacy benefit management. Mm-hmm. So when you look at clinical strategy, across the pharmacy division, I oversee that end-to-end. Um, and you can that manifests in a few different core areas, one of them being around what we call clinical account services. So essentially, I have a team of pharmacists, clinicians, that are the client-facing folks that interact directly with our customers across various lines of business. So we work with employer groups, TPAs, consultants, brokers, managed care plans um, mm-hmm. in managed Medicaid, exchange, commercial, and in Medicare. And I oversee the staff that day-to-day services those clients. They look at their data, identify trends, and make strategic recommendations on the best way for that client to reduce their overall cost of care and improve outcomes for their patients. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of one overall broad bucket. Uh, the other one is around uh, formulary management and utilization management. So I work very closely with the trade relations teams and the formulary operations folks on building best-in-class formulary offerings across lines of business uh, from a clinical and cost perspective to make sure that we're delivering the lowest and cost solutions for our customers. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the second bucket. And then the third, probably broadest one, is around just kind of a catch-all clinical program development strategy and implementation. Mm-hmm. So everything from uh, quality ratings like Star and HEDIS Uh, through adherence programs, medication therapy management, case management, digital therapeutics. Mm -hmm. All of those concepts fall under my shop in terms of a strategic perspective, how we continue to build and innovate and
1: deliver cutting-edge solutions for our customers to improve the outcomes for their patients. Nice. Now I want to go into soon uh, your day to day because I'm really curious. It sounds like you wear a ton of hats. Yes, I so do. I do want to go into like day to day. But a, a question just popped in my mind right now as you as you were mentioning the formulary management and and um, those aspects of, of care. Is there ever a time that because I know we have a professional way and, and especially from a provider sense and a business sense of creating a formulary? Mm-hmm. Is there ever a time or or is there mechanisms for formularies to be influenced by uh, feedback from patients?
0: It's a great question. Um, So in terms of formally, when we build the formulary management or the the actual formularies for our various customers, we're primarily focused on the clinical evidence uh, in addition to safety and then cost, right? So clinical safety and efficacy are first and foremost followed by cost. When you look at the the patient-specific angle, when we're building a base formulary and even administering one for a client on a custom perspective, the direct kind of, I guess, patient feedback on that is not widely considered. Um, We will listen um, in working in tandem with our clients. Mm -hmm. If there is extensive, say, provider pushback or member pushback because of a certain formulary decision, obviously we treat every single client individually and we'll make tweaks depending on the landscape in their particular coverage Mm -hmm. network if one of our recommendations seems like it doesn't necessarily fit the dynamic of that population then we'll be nimble and recalibrate in our approach but in terms of the actual formula development process as it is today the patient angle in terms of their voice directly is not a core piece Mm -hmm. that we call out specifically
1: yeah because i'm even thinking of a situation where you you are just really between two drugs Mm -hmm you know, let's just say, and then for some reason you just get some feedback that says, "Mm, maybe we should actually go with this one instead because X, Y, Z from feedback from the patients. That that just kind of popped into my mind, and and I was curious to see kind of what in general, what an approach like that um, would, would look like? Well, I mean, it, like? it's a great question, and it,
0: I don't know that that's widely being done today. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it won't be. Yeah. I think that is an area that's going to continue to expand. When you talk about the whole concept of you know, personalized care, whether it's personalized medicine, personalized benefit management, at the end of the day, it's about having the patient at the center of everything you do, Yeah. Uh, which is an incredibly powerful and important concept. And if you look at how the landscape Um, today in our own society has been drastically shaped. A lot of that has been from consumerism and the consumer experience with other organizations in the retail sector, finance sector, and tech sector, where they have become successful by putting the patient experience at the center of everything they do. And in healthcare, especially as healthcare providers, we're supposed to be doing that, right, in terms of clinical practice. Mm -hmm. And I think we do. But when you talk about the broader population health component, formulary management UM mm. being one piece to that. I don't think it's as widespread as we'd like it to be. So yeah. I think that could potentially be the next frontier around yeah. charting the course of getting more real time actionable patient feedback, like you said, in terms of breaking the tie, so to speak, yeah. between two medications. I think we do it indirectly today when you look at things like convenience, route of administration, those types of things? Yeah. But in terms of drilling specifically down
1: into the voice of the patient and what they would prefer. Mm -hmm. I don't know that a lot of organizations are doing that widely. Yeah. Well, because like you mentioned, I I know the core of what the decisions are made are what we think is best or what we hope is best or what has studied to been um, best for the patient. But, you know, a lot of times, I mean – I just think about just on the front lines of things when I'm preparing to talk to a patient about something, I'm thinking I'm giving them all the information that they need to know. And all of a sudden, they come out with a question that I would have never even thought about. Right. And then that changes my whole way of thinking about approaching the care for that particular patient. So Absolutely. Definitely an interesting um, interesting thing, thing to, to consider. So let's talk about day to day. So you you show up, uh, walk in the doors. Um, fresh coffee smell, I'm sure. Uh, what, what's, what's the day-to-day like for you?
0: Yeah, great question. And every day, and it's probably a bit obvious to say this, and I'm sure a lot of other people say the same thing, but every day is really unique mm-hmm. and brings its own set of challenges and opportunities to improve care for patients and to better service our clients. So given the diversity of the responsibilities that I have today, no two days are really exactly the same. Um, so there's a lot of meetings, if you will, that are set up, which is the case in any large corporation. Um, but the way I typically structure a lot of things, too, is I try to carve out focus time, um, whether it's a full day or a chunk of a specific day, given my myriad responsibilities, or I try to drill in on one or two major fundamental concepts. So I have a number of different teams that report directly into me that do very distinct things where there's some overlap across them, but they have a very specialized area. So what I try to do is each day really zero in on one of those areas. So for instance, I have a large team today that focuses on specialty medications and specialty management strategies. So I'll structure a day in which I'm following up with that team, touching base on what our key priorities are, progress against those deliverables, what new and innovative things that we could potentially be deploying. The second half of that day or the following day might be working with my quality uh, folks, focused folks for star ratings, is and everything else on or how we're tracking for our individual customers, recommendations for improvement, and then these major special projects. So uh, there's always fires that come up, mm-hmm. uh, as with anything else. Uh, so you need to be nimble and recalibrate and jump into and be flexible around reprioritizing your day, mm-hmm. if you will, and trying to fit in all of those ad hoc areas in between your various meetings. But in general, I try as best as I can to be diligent about structuring my day in such a way that I can have as much specificity for various
1: teams whenever possible. Mm -hmm. And what about, are you using anything in particular that's uh, like a project management tool or what advice, I guess, would you have for someone that's, let's say, new to role, maybe not in particularly your position, but a position similar to yours where days are always different, there's always these fires kind of coming at you? Um, what type of tactics or ways you have to either manage your time better or just to have a better uh, grasp on project management?
0: It's a great question. I mean, in terms of a formal tool that I myself use, I don't really use a specific project management tool like Microsoft Project, for mm-hmm. instance. I use a lot of Excel to keep track of various things. Um, I also... A lot of it's just stored up here in the old noggin (laughs) when you're running from one thing to the next. Uh, What I've found to also be incredibly helpful, and, and this is in a similar thread to what I talked about earlier, around trying to structure your day as best as you can to make sure that you're in the right mind space for a very specific thing or team or group of things. Along those lines, I also try to make sure that email doesn't rule my everyday existence, which is mm-hmm. a really easy trap to fall into, especially in a large organization because mm-hmm. it's the primary method of communication. And if you're not careful, you can spend eight out of eight hours in a day just responding to emails, which don't necessarily advance you much further yeah. to your end-all goal. So I try to have very structured times where I do not check email during certain chunks of the day, and instead I'm following up on or creating you know new work streams,
1: to make sure that we're advancing our broader goals it's interesting i think i think one paradigm thing to to get out there someone in your role because there are some listeners right now that either they're students or they're pharmacists clinically practicing that don't have this experience of day-to-day project management and, and or just day-to-day like the amount of the massive amount of emails that a person like you would probably right. receive on a daily basis is to understand that you can't always just be looking at emails like yeah. you have to be you have to have time you say i'm not doing dealing with emails or an hour of the first day, uh, you know, um, the first hour of the day, last hour of the day or whatever that, that structure might be like. But, um, because eventually, like you said, you could end up getting ruled by, by those emails. Now, what if you're can, let's say you're in a, in a position where you're you're moving on to the next big thing, um, from your current role mm-hmm. and you're like, I need, I need to replace, I need i I'm responsible to find my replacement. Right. What are you looking for in that individual? to say this is going to be the best type of individual to come and, and do this role and take this, this position?
0: It's a great question. And it's one that you should always strive to have the answer for and make sure that you're keeping it in the back of your head, regardless of what level that you're in. So one of the first pieces and earliest pieces of advice I'd ever received um, from my boss at the time was, and he even told me, this is a bit counterintuitive, right? But your single greatest job is to make yourself unnecessary at the end of the day Mm -hmm. meaning you need to continuously be coaching and helping the rest of your team grow and making sure that you're growing the next generation of leaders at the end of the day Um, it's it's challenging to do um, to always take a step back and making sure that you're prioritizing everybody's growth but When I think of what I would be looking for, um, not even just for someone that would step into my position today, but stepping into a leadership role in pharmacy, I mean, there's a few things that, that jump out in particular. One is an openness to new ideas and being willing to wear a lot of different hats, jump in, and step up when other people have stepped back, right? So it's that leadership quality where You've got numerous things that are going on. You want people to step up and take action and jump in and learn new things instead of sitting back and waiting things to be handed to them, mm-hmm. right? It's this concept of do you live in a box and you can only operate within those boundaries or do you have the ability to be very nimble, jump in, learn new things? You may not always get it right, but you demonstrate a willingness to be able to do that. Yeah. Is incredibly important. Um, the other piece that I look for as well is a lot of things in life, Um, are in the gray area where we have a tendency, especially in the sciences, right? Like in pharmacy school. in a lot of cases, what you learn on the surface may be very black and white. But in reality, when you get into professional practice and various situations, a lot of life is in the gray in terms of professional situations. Not so much from an ethical perspective, but from the perspective of there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. You have to jump in, figure things out and chart your own path. So you really want someone That will be able to step up and meet that challenge. Who can think creatively and not be stuck in their own individual box, I guess, if you will. Um, Those are probably the the biggest things. Obviously, there's the the subject matter expertise and the baseline level of knowledge. Um, That, and this may be a little bit counterintuitive. I would say is almost less important than someone who has the other, I guess, intangibles you'd call them, um, who are able to step up, be very thoughtful. Be a good leader. Take the time to listen to their team, um, and also have good public speaking skills and customer service skills. Like yeah. those are all the ones that are a lot harder to teach. I can bring someone up to speed around a line of business or a concept, right? You can help them learn something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of those other skills, right, around kind of that natural dynamism and being able to jump in, roll up their sleeves, and figure things out, is a lot more difficult
1: to yeah. teach. Yeah, and I and. It, I feel like you you put that in a very good way now and and just listening to it I've heard before like it's intangibles that are important you know it's not what you know it's it's um it's how you think and and things like that and I think you really put that in a really good way and I hope people like go back and listen to that because I I think that you really hit the nail on the head there where it, it isn't about the actual factual knowledge that you can possibly google or someone can just teach you whereas those other things are a lot harder to come by and it comes from either um, experience or just intuition mm-hmm. um, and those kinds of things and one other thing that you had pointed out was that the uh the importance of like being able to make yourself um, replaceable or, mm-hmm. or, or being able to kind of uh, make yourself unnecessary right i think that's y- you can that should also get scaled up even to the organization level and and the way I'm thinking about this I'm just thinking about like in a community pharmacy setting let's just say or, or some other business what this could be anything not even yeah. just pharmacy but I feel like people need to constantly be thinking about how to innovate to put themselves out of business. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, not to say that they close their doors, but more so figure out if someone's going to come and replace you, you should be the one to replace you in Absolutely. whatever it is that you're doing. You want to disrupt yourself. Exactly. At the end exactly. The because so, if you
0: don't, somebody else will. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to be left out there in the cold. You wouldn't have evolved and you're going to ultimately end up failing. It's the same thing. With professional development, right? You need to make sure that you're disrupting yourself and you're learning new things. And, and I want to also be careful, too. So when we talk about the importance of intangibles, I don't want folks that are out there listening to think, well, maybe I don't necessarily have all of that natural stuff. Does that mean that I'm, I'm doomed to not be able to advance? Mm-hmm. That's not the case at all. What I would encourage folks to do, and this is really, I think, what I'm ultimately trying to get to, is be open to anything and any opportunity. So where I've been able to be successful in my career and where I've seen other people be incredibly successful is they're open to new things and they're willing to try things out and not go into a situation assuming that they already know everything. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have in your vocabulary, well, that's not my job. Yeah. Ask questions, jump in, and make the most of every single opportunity, even Mm -hmm. if it's not directly related to what you think your job is, because mm-hmm. it's going to round out your skill set and better position you for other new experiences in the future. It's going in and having an open mind about absolutely everything, yeah. and that enables you. That to me is somewhat of an intangible, but it's one that you can train and be very
1: cognizant of, and it really positions you very well for leadership role and success down the line. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of down the line, let's—that was a good segue into what I, what I want to ask next. So, um, you know, we've had a couple of meetings together and a couple of conversations, and you—I always hear you talk about personalized. Um, care and personalized Mm -hmm. attention to patients. I want you to tell us a little bit about what your vision is for the future, whether it be for Magellan or just in general in pharmacy, like what are you seeing that you think is that either has to be necessary or it's coming in terms of that type of care?
0: Sure. Yeah. And it's a great question. I mean, it's a topic that's huge and you could probably spend days and days talking about various different angles to it. Um, So I look at, there's some of the more obvious ones, right? When you're talking about your precision medicine, right? Where you have very targeted drug therapies where instead of you know, treating this broad swath of the population, you're focusing on tumor types and other pathways that you're really getting granular on um, being very specific in your treatment to help reduce side effects and have a better therapeutic outcome. So there's that whole more obvious piece, especially that you're seeing in oncology. And you have uh, genetic testing. So again, from the perspective of very specific markers for a drug, versus your broader panels, even from like a 23andMe type of perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's that angle. What we have to figure out is how that information follows a patient over time, from a data storage perspective. So if you're going to change health plans or PBMs, and if I've had a genetic profile done on me, that shows that you know I'm a suboptimal metabolizer of drug X. How does that information make its way into another health plan so they can capitalize on it and make sure that you're being treated the right way? Mm-hmm. So that's one huge piece to this too, is leveraging the power of precision medicine and genetic testing to ensure that we actually have, a customized crafted treatment plan for every single individual versus just the kind of broader um population-based tactics that we've Mm -hmm. seen the other piece of that too is is related but it's in leveraging various pieces of technology so you look at artificial intelligence predictive analytics and everything else there's tools um, out there today that are smartphone enabled that actually are able to observe, for lack of a better word, uh, patients taking their medication, and it's smart enough to understand that it's actually the correct patient, that it's the correct drug that it's being taken at the right time through facial recognition, drug recognition. It's smart enough to look and make sure that you didn't uh, try to game it by hiding it under your tongue, and it provides all (laughs) that information in real time back to clinicians and can raise the red flag and alerts and enable us. To get hands-on with the patient and identify early on versus just your traditional claims-based indicators of adherence like a PDC, if you will. So it's kind of on the surface almost sounds big brotherish, if you will, but that's where the industry in general is heading, where society is heading. And it's a real opportunity for us not so much to have this like Orwellian dystopian vision of the future Mm -hmm. where you're just tracking people for the sake of it but to enable you to specifically tailor their treatment plan Mm -hmm. based on their behaviors and their habits and help incentivize them to be an active stakeholder in their own care. Um, There's also understanding what makes a patient tick and their learning behaviors and attitudes and being able to tailor an educational experience to them. So you have various platforms that help them understand their drug, their condition, how everything fits together and have an actual tailored educational platform for them that helps them understand what they're supposed to be doing, and you can monitor progress. Mm -hmm. Tie all of these things back into one place to ultimately have a really customized experience for that one particular person. Mm -hmm. So it's this really broad concept that can manifest itself in a number of different ways, um, from genetic testing technology, all the way through how you actually administer your own benefit. But those are a few of the levers that we're looking at specifically at Magellan and that I'm also personally interested in.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny that the way you mention that uh, getting all these different data points to focus on that one person's experience, every retailer is doing that. Mm-hmm. Like retailers, just for, just for them to sell a toothbrush, right. they're doing that. Why aren't we doing that for health? Their healthcare, exactly. You know, which is way more important than which T-shirt they're more likely to buy. They're gathering all this other information to target them on that. Why aren't we doing that for the healthcare? So I think that's. Um, it's actually a, a super, uh, a, a super good point there, and, and interesting thing to follow. And I think I'd love to see that Magellan's going to be kind of on the cutting edge of that, especially being led um, by you, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, clinical care. And I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of what you're going to do and continue the partnership to help take care of these patients on a, on a, on a personal level. Yeah. I would say so. Me it's going to be great. But um, if anyone wants to reach out to you. Uh, what would be the best way for them to contact you if you want to I can just cut all this out but if anyone wants to reach out to you what would be the best way to um, continue this conversation the the
0: easiest one is probably through LinkedIn Um, I believe my
1: profile is publicly accessible there so feel free to connect with me send me a message and we can go from there perfect and I'll put that into the show notes So uh, if anyone wants to continue the conversation, they can definitely reach out and connect. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know if there's any lasting words you want to leave the listeners with, but I think this was an excellent episode.
0: No, no, I I think this covered it. I really appreciate
1: the time. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And I really want to thank the folks over at Magellan RX for making this happen. Uh, both to the pharmacists that uh, we interviewed in the series, and also the marketing team over at Magellan. I really do appreciate you guys for uh, really making this come to life uh, for uh, for October Pharmacist Month. And uh, if you want to learn more about Magellan, what they're doing, visit them at MagellanRX.com. I'm going to link their uh, website information in the show notes below. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, um, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter.